Well, I want to minister for a few minutes this morning through a message I'm calling Grace to Give. Giving is the essence of who Jesus is. And it's the delight in who you and I are really becoming. I believe that everyone has been graced to give by our Father. I further believe the more revelation you get concerning God's extravagant love, and we've been preaching about it for a while now, the more revelation you get of His extravagant love and His outrageous generosity and His marvelous mercy and His great grace, the more your giving will proliferate everything you are, everything you do, and everything you are destined to become. A few days ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving with our families. I hope you had a good time. Some time ago, the Lord gave me this word picture. Remember, I said the Lord talks to me in pictures and stories. And so he gave me that picture of that word Thanksgiving. It's a big word. It's a 12-letter word. <laughs> I want you just to grab it just for a second. Just set it right there in the air and let it hang up on nothing. There it is, Thanksgiving. And the picture that the Lord gave me was to reach over with my right hand and grab the T, and then reach over with my left hand and grab the last letter, the letter G, and just begin to bend that word, flex it, flex it, <laughs> flex it. You've got it bent now, almost into the shape of a horseshoe. And then as I was watching this movie play out in my head, all of a sudden it got to the point of no return, and then there was a snap. And the first thing that came to my mind was, Mark, you've ruined Thanksgiving. <laughs> but then I thought, no, I did not ruin Thanksgiving. I broke it into the two words that it comes from, the two six-letter words, the word thanks and the word giving. They are two of the most powerful words in the entire Bible. And when you catch the spirit of thanks and when you catch the spirit of giving, I want to tell you something, it will transform your entire life. Over the last several months, I have proven by the Scriptures, by the Scriptures, that justification and righteousness belong together. I've proven that Jesus and God belong together, and that faith and grace, they go together. And so it is with this thanks and this giving, they belong together. They are inseparable. Jesus' nature in us has designed us to be thankful people. Jesus' nature in us empowers us, empowers us to be gracious in our giving. So the question always becomes, Mark, what does it take to, to make a man thankful? You say, well, if you gave me a new car, that'd make me thankful. No, it wouldn't. You say, if you gave me a brand new home, that'd make me thankful. No, it wouldn't. You say, man, if you just gave me a promotion on the job, no, it wouldn't. You say, if I just got a glowing doctor's report, that would make me thankful. I'm telling you, it won't make you thankful. Now, you might stop for a moment and say thank you, but it is not what makes a man thankful. I used to always tell my daughter, Sarah, I said, how about if I give you a bushel full of 50s? Would that make you happy? <laughs> and she would say, no, you don't need to do that. Now she asks for the bushel of 50s. <laughs> Thanksgiving is an inside job. It's an inside work. It comes from the inside and works its way out of the man. Never from the outside in. It's a fruit of God's heart inside of you. And like I said, the more you get the revelation of how good God is, how gracious God is, just meditate on his faithfulness and his love. You know what that's going to cause you to do? It's going to cause you to be more thankful. It's going to cause you to be more gracious. It's going to cause you to give in different ways, different capacities. I'm not talking just about money. The psalmist David said in Psalm 28, verse 7, these words. He said, the Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. And then he says something pretty amazing. He says, I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. What is David saying? 
David saying, listen, I'm very thankful that the Lord is my helper. I'm very thankful that the Lord is my shield. I'm thankful that the Lord protects me. I'm thankful that the Lord provides for me. But I want to tell you something. The song is already on the inside of me. And all of that stuff, when I start looking at all of his glory, all of his majesty, that just brings the song out of me. He said, I burst out with songs of thanksgiving. And you know what? For years, I've never been able to understand this. I do the same thing all the time. I can't sing I don't have a singing voice, but I find myself bursting out in songs of thanksgiving just because it's on the inside of me when I'm thinking about all of his goodness and his grace. Thanksgiving is a choice we make. We've all been graced to be thankful. We've all been graced to give. It's the kind of giving and the kind of thankfulness that Jesus was talking about in John 10.10. He said, the thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and destroy That's part A. And then part B is that I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. But between part A and part B is this conjunction. It's the word but. (laughs) You remember what I taught you about but? It's the eraser. See, we spend too much time thinking about what the thief has come to do, to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, just let's, let's give you an eraser, okay? Let's just erase all that. And why don't you think about this right here, that I have come that you might have life, and that you might have life more abundantly. And that word life that he mentions twice in John 10, 10 is zoe, Z-O-E. It means the God kind of life. The zoe kind of life is a life, listen to me, that's marked by thankfulness, and it's marked by giving. I don't believe that a believer can live the God kind of life, this Zoe kind of life that I'm talking about, apart from being thankful and apart from giving. We've just been graced to be thankful and to give. One of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is a man named David. I love David. He's a type of Christ. David knew all about being thankful. David knew all about being gracious. You say, Pastor Mark, that's because he grew up in a palace. No, David grew up in a pasture. You see, friends, if you don't learn to be thankful in the pasture, you'll never be thankful in the palace. You think the palace is going to make you happy. It's not going to make you happy. I'll tell you, you'll take all your sorrows and your woes and your worries and your fears and everything else. You'll take them right into the palace. He grew up in the pasture. Oh, my goodness. He learned to be thankful there. And as I was thinking about David last night, and I was thinking about when the prophet Samuel came to anoint him, he didn't know who he was coming for. He just knew it was one of Jesse's sons. And so he came to Jesse's house and he had Jesse's sons march before him. And I just saw this picture last night, that firstborn. I mean, he was tall, good looking, physically fit. I can just see one hand in his pocket and the other hand with his little Miss America wave as he's coming by the prophet Samuel. I mean, that works in Hollywood, friend, but I'm telling you what, it wasn't working in front of Samuel. And Samuel's like, cut him short, said, no, stop that. You ain't the one. See, the Bible says that God looks upon the heart of man. He looks upon the heart, not the outward appearance. And then number two son, he's probably come, I just saw him with a little swag in his step, you know, coming down in front of Samuel, and he said, stop it, you ain't the one either. And then the third one, you know, he's probably strutting like a little peacock, and Samuel kept cutting their legs out from underneath him. You're not the one, you're not the one, you're not the one. And he went through seven of his children. He said, none of you are the one. And he looked at Jesse and said, don't you have some other children? Do you have another boy somewhere? Well, I got one. Well, where's he at? He's out in the pasture. He said, surely you don't want the one in the pasture. He said, I just might. Go get him, would you? And I love what he said. He said, I am not sitting down until you bring him in. I want to tell you something. That's the heart of Jesus. When Jesus came, he said, Father, I'm not going to sit down next to you until I bring my beloved in. 
I want you to get that in your heart. God told me that last night. He said, I am not sitting down, but when I do sit down, I'm going to sit down once and for all. In the old covenant, you see the, the type and shadow that is always the priest was standing. There were no chairs in the tabernacle. He always had to stand and continuously forgive sin. But Jesus said when he, when he paid our sin once and for all, he sat down at the right hand of the Father signifying the old covenant is over. There was one sacrifice for all, period. And so what I was thinking about David last night, I happened to think David had the revelation of his daddy. He had the revelation of his daddy in a way that we can see now that he might not be able to see then. But his daddy's name is Jesse. And so when people would call you by name, they would see a word picture. It wasn't just like a, a, a name. And so every time somebody would say Jesse, the name Jesse literally means gift of God. Gift of God. You're a gift of God. So every time someone said, hey, Jesse, come here. David's like, they're calling my daddy a gift of God. He's a gift of God. If they came up to David and they said, where's Jesse? They were literally saying, where's the gift of God? He got used to it, so he began to see his father differently. He began to see his father as the gift of God. David, what number son is he? He's number eight, isn't he? He's number eight. I want you to know something about that number eight. There's no insignificant details in the Bible. The number eight means a new beginning, a new order, and a new creation. You see, friends, I'm going to tell you something. And, and David's name literally means beloved. When you see yourself as God's beloved, when you see yourself as God's new creation, when you see yourself as God's new order, when you see yourself like that, I want to tell you something. What it does is when you begin to look at your father and go, hey, all of this is a gift, isn't it? This is just a gift from my father. Jesse's the gift of God. I see myself as a new creation. I'm not like my older brother strutting my stuff. I realize that God reached down and pulled me out of a pasture and he saved me and he changed me and forever and ever, I have an eternal covenant with God. I'm not sitting down until you bring him in. And so Psalm 100 is one of the psalms, beautiful psalms that David wrote. I love Psalm 100. It's just a gorgeous psalm. It starts off by saying, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye land. Serve the Lord, the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful. There's that word. Be thankful unto him and bless. Bless his name for the Lord. The Lord is good. It is he that has made it. Do you hear what he was saying? His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. What a heart full of stuff that David was saying there. And so the other day as I was meditating on this, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, the song, all the earth began to rise in my heart. I like the song. I like the tune. I like some of the words. And I think that song was probably built based upon Psalm 100. It says, Father, into your courts I will enter, maker of heaven and earth. I tremble in your holy presence. Glory, glory in your sanctuary. Splendor and majesty, Lord, before you all eyes adore you. All the earth will declare that your love is everywhere. The fields will exalt and seas resound. Hear the trees joyful cry, praising you and so will I. A new song I'll sing. I will glorify and bless your holy name. And I got to thinking about that. You know, the, the chorus part of that says, 
the fields will exalt. Seas resound. Hear the trees joyful cry. And I got to thinking, I am not letting any field out exalt me. I'm not letting any sea out resound what I can. I've got too big of a voice for those. And I'm going to cry it out. I ain't letting no rocks cry out in my place. And I ain't letting no trees clap their hands louder than I can clap my hands before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Get used to that. Get used to that. And as this revelation that you receive the gift of God simply because you're God's beloved. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you something. That will all begin to awaken in your heart. Oh, my goodness. So he says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of this pasture. Now watch the crescendo begin to build as he gets into the next verse here. He says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. Do you know those three words, thanksgiving, praise, and thankful, all are interchangeable? It's just like if I would say, I find algebra to be difficult. I find algebra to be challenging. I find algebra to be hard. They all interchange. And there's one Hebrew word behind all of those single words right there. And he says there, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. And that word thankful, my wife preached about it a few weeks ago, is that Hebrew word, yah Yadah, Y-A-D-A-H, Yadah. We'll get into that in just a moment. And bless his name. And then he's going to tell you why. He says, here's the reason why. You want a good reason to do all this? You want a good reason to be thankful? He said, here, I'm going to tell you the reason. For the Lord is good. Friends, I don't know if we need any more reasons, do we? <laughs> do we need any more reasons? The Lord is good. But he says, listen, just in case you want another one, okay? Let me give you another one here. His mercy is everlasting. And that word mercy in the Hebrew is chesed. It means the grace of God. He said his grace is everlasting. And he said, listen, just in case there's somebody out there that wants a third one. Oh man, his truth endureth to all generations. Praise God. What is his truth? His truth, friends, is Jesus. Jesus himself stood in front of his disciples in John 14. And he was telling them, listen, I'm going to go to a place and prepare a place for you. Uh, I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. And he said, where I go, there you'll be with me also. And he said, you know the way. And they said, wait a minute, <laughs> just a second before you leave. We don't know the way. We need some directions. He said, listen, I am the way. I am the truth. See, the truth that was being declared by David was a, a prophetic picture of Christ. His truth endureth to all generations. That is Christ. He endureth to all generations. Praise God. Good reasons to make joyful noises unto the Lord. I read this article here about a week ago of a World War II vet. He's 91 years old now. But when he was 20 years old, he was pinned down under heavy German artillery in a deep, deep forest. He was 20 years old, and he said he didn't think the artillery, all the bombs exploded, and all the machine gun fire all night long in the dark there. He could just see it all happening and hear it all around him. He didn't think he was going to live to see the morning. And so he said he bowed his, his head and closed his eyes and gave thanks unto the Lord. And he said this. He said, Lord, please let me live so I can go back and start a business. No, he didn't say that. He said, please let me, Lord, so I can go back and begin a family. He didn't say that either. Do you know what he said? He said, Lord, let me just see one more sunrise. That's all I'm asking for is one more sunrise. 
Man, we need to be thankful, friends. Don't wait till you're pinned down under enemy fire. Don't wait till it seems like it's never going to stop in the drama in your life to praise Him. Praise Him now. Praise Him now. He's worthy to be praised and thanked. This word noise that David used, he said, make a joyful noise. The first use of that comes out of the Latin language, out of the 13th century. It comes from the word nausea. Like, whoa, wait a minute, David. Nausea. That means like you're going to throw up, like you're sick or something like that. Typically when we think about noise, we think about something that is an irritant. You know what I mean? Like you walk in the room, you don't go, oh, hi kids, I see you're making a bunch of noise. No, you say you're making a bunch of noise, go to your room. It's kind of like this irritant, right? But David used this word. He said, make a joyful noise, but that adjective that he is placed right in front of noise, that word joyful changed the entire complexion, like makeup changes the entire complexion of a face. It changed the entire complexion of what David was saying. He was saying, make a joyful noise. I love this about this word. The word noise comes from the Hebrew word ruah. It's spelled R-U-A in English, but it's pronounced ruah. Figuratively, it means to split the ears with sound. It means to blow an alarm, sound an alarm, shout with triumph. That's the word that David used when he said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He said, listen, all ye lands, let everybody hear it everywhere you go. And so as I was looking at that word a couple of weeks ago, I felt the Holy Spirit say, would you like me to take you to the place where that comes up for the first time? Would you like to see the context where that comes up for the first time? I said, absolutely, God, let's go. It's in Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Here's what the Bible says. The Lord said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together and for having the camps set out. When both of these trumpets are sounded, the whole community is to assemble before you at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now the tent of meeting was the tent that they carried. And every time they camped, they would set up the tent of meeting. It housed the ark of God. It was the presence of God. It was them carrying the presence of God. You are the tabernacle today, and everywhere you go, the ark goes with you. Okay, you are that ark. Everywhere you go, the presence of Jesus is always with you. Amen. So, you can see that God gave Moses a very specific assignment to hammer out two trumpets of silver. Now watch who he tells to play them. Verse 8. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpets. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. Verse 9 has made me shed tears all by myself at home, okay? I'm just being honest with you. It says, when you go into battle, not if. There's a difference between if and when. It says, when you go into battle, like Jeff was saying earlier when he was talking about There's going to be times when things are going to rise up against you. It says, when you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. Let me tell you something about enemies. They come in different sizes and shapes. Enemy can be guilt. It can be shame. It can be fear. It can be judgment. It can be condemnation. It can be unforgiveness. It can be hatred. Oh, the list is long and extensive. He says, when that kind of stuff comes against you, he said, I've got something I want, I've got an instruction for you. That's oppression. That's all that is, oppression coming against you. He says, I've got something I want you to do when that happens. He says, sound a blast on the trumpet. He didn't say, have a pity party. He didn't say, call your neighbors down the street. 
He didn't say all this other stuff that we normally jump through. He said, sound a blast on the trumpet. And that word blast, sound a blast on the trumpet. That word, by the way, the trumpet's on the inside of you, just so you know, okay? It's your voice, okay? He said, sound a blast. That word blast is that Hebrew word, ruah. It's the same word that David used in Psalm 100 when he said, make a joyful noise. He said, you are to sound a joyful noise when oppression comes against you. Not, oh me, not, oh my. It's a joyful noise that should rise on the inside of us. Amen. Oh man, I like what I said the other day. David didn't say make an awful noise. He said make a joyful noise. And then watch what happens. He says, then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. You know, when you're pinned down under heavy gunfire, the Bible says, what do you do? You make a joyful noise. The Bible says, what do you do? You stand up and you blow the trumpet. The trumpet is on the inside of the man. And then verse 10. Also, at your times of rejoicing. Now it's starting to get better, isn't it? It's starting to clean up a little bit. Your appointed festivals and your new moon feast, you are to sound the trumpet. So what did he just say between verses 9 and 10? He said, listen, if you're going through oppression, make a joyful noise. You're going through blessing, make a joyful noise. That covers the two extremes, doesn't it? So what are we supposed to do? Make a joyful noise at all times. I love this story. I read it recently of a little boy that was born in 1971 in Texas. His name, David Philip Vetcher. You may not recognize the name, but you may recognize the movie they made about him. John Travolta starred in it five years after he was born, called The Boy in the Plastic Bubble. David was born without an immune system. You see, there's so many children today that are being born with whacked out immune systems. I'm tired of that. It's time for the body of Christ to rise up and put a healing word and a healing touch upon people. So many people are born with whacked out immune systems, you know what I mean? I can take a handful of cashews. I love cashews. I can eat them by the handful. You know, but I know a person, a young lady, if she just took one cashew and licked it, apart from a miracle from Jesus or an EpiPen in the leg, she'd be dead in a few minutes. I'm telling you, but David was born, this little boy was born with no immune system. So he had to live life in a plastic bubble. It's a true story. And so they had these big gloves that went inside, you know, so that the people could reach in and change his little diaper and burp him and, and rock him and hold him and feed him and do all the things a mother would do for their baby. That little boy never knew what a human touch felt like. And when he was about 12 years old, they typed his little sister and they said, you know what? Your sister's a perfect bone marrow donor. And they said, David, we believe that you'll be able to live life outside of the bubble. Is this good news, David? Oh, that's good news. That's really good news. He's 12 years old. He's always been in a bubble. A sterile environment, if you will. Everything that came into that environment had to be sterilized for hours and hours because the slightest little bacteria, the slightest little germ, the slightest little virus would kill David. What they didn't know about his sister is laying dormant in her marrow was the Epstein-Barr virus. And the second it came into contact with little David's body, his body picked it up, and about two weeks later, he was dead. Before they gave him the surgery, though, they said, David, what would you like to do when you leave the bubble? What would you like to do? Surely, David said, I want to go to Disney World, right? No, he didn't say, I want to go to Disney World. Surely, he said, I want to go stick my feet in the ocean and lay there in a hammock. No, he didn't say that either. Do you know what he said? He said, I want to walk barefoot on grass 
And he said, I want to hold my mama's hand. Did you notice that both of those have to do with touch? One with your feet, one with your hands. I want to tell you something. We need to get back in touch. We need to get back in touch with what's going on in our, uh, in our circle of influence. So this little boy right here, that was his dream. His dream was just simply to walk barefoot on grass. His dream was just to hold his mama's hand. And you know what? I have been beside the bed of dying people so many times in my life. I had a friend that just died on Wednesday of this past week. And you know, from the emergency room, he called his wife. The last things he said to his wife, his wife was on the other side of the room. He called her over, and when she came over, he said to her, hold me. And she put her arms around him. And he said to her, bring me closer. And she brought him closer. He said, bring me closer. Hold me tighter. Those were the last words he said as he was slipping out of this world, is I want to be touched. I want to be held. My, my, my. I've told this story before, but I, I, I'm telling you, it's one of the most precious things I'd ever had the encounter and had the privilege of doing. A few years ago, uh, one of my friends, Betty Church, she's about 80 years old, but she was a, I'm telling you, you've never seen a woman more thankful in your life and a woman that was more gracious in her giving. Am I right, the people that know her? You ever met anybody more giving than that woman? You never found a person more giving than that woman. And her daughter called my wife and I one night and said, if you want to see mom, you better get here. She's in bad shape. They live two miles down the road from us. So I drove down there. If I didn't know that was Betty, I would not have recognized her when I walked in her room. I would have not recognized her. See, she hadn't eaten in many days, and she hadn't had water in two or three days, and she was shriveled up. Her arms looked like pencils. And as my wife and I walked in the room, I got down on my knees beside her, and I reached one arm underneath of her and the other one around her, and I pulled her close to my chest. And all I could begin to do was just begin to thank her for her graciousness. Thank her for her giving. Thank her for her lifestyle. Thank her for ministering to the body of Christ. I was just thanking her. And then Psalm 23 rose up my head and I quoted that psalm over her. But when I started praying in tongues, I'm telling you what, there was a connection with our spirits. Wasn't there, baby? All of a sudden, that little bony arm, I don't know how much strength it would have taken for her to take that and throw that arm around me, but pretty soon that arm came around me and I just held her, and I just wept and wept and wept. Many tears, thanking my dear sister for a life of thankfulness and for being gracious in her giving. We've been graced to be thankful. We have been graced to give. I've come by today to tell you that when Jesus moved into your heart, He not only forgave you for your sins, He not only took your iniquities and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, He not only took our transgressions and separated them as far as the east is from the west. I want to give you some better news. You got His blood. He put his blood on the inside of you. He put his bone marrow on the inside of you. He put his immune system on the inside of you so nothing could ever infect you again. Essentially what he did is he put us in a bubble. And that bubble is Christ. That bubble is righteousness. And nothing can penetrate that precious blood of Jesus. Nothing can infiltrate that precious blood of Christ. We have been sealed until the day of redemption. The words thankful and praise, like I said, are interchangeable. The Hebrew word for thankful and praise is Yah-Dah. It means to worship with extended hands. Wow. You see, friends, that's what giving's all about. It's reaching out with hands of compassion. It's reaching out with hands of mercy. It's reaching out with hands of love. It's reaching out with hands of joy. It's reaching out with hands of thanksgiving and wrapping them around somebody. There's many ways to give, believe me. Giving is true worship. Yada 
is the word that David used in Psalm 100 when he said, Be thankful unto him. Yadah unto him. And as I thought about that word, I thought, wow, I wonder which one of those patriarchs of old were the first one to use that word. Surely it must have been Noah. Noah must have been thankful. God just gave him a blueprint how to build a boat. Surely it was Noah, right? What Noah? You say, well, it must have been Abraham. Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham must have used that word. No, he didn't use it either. Must have been Isaac. Isaac's a type of Christ. It was Isaac, wasn't it? No, it wasn't Isaac. Must have been Jacob. No, it wasn't Jacob. Okay. It was Joseph, wasn't it? Yeah, Joseph, the one with the coat of many colors. Wasn't Joseph. Well, then was it David? David used it a lot. You're right. He did use it a lot. But it wasn't David. It was a woman. It was one woman, the wife of Jacob, her name is Leah. She was the first one to use that word in the Bible. So let's peek in and see what her story is about. In fact, if you remember the story, Leah was not loved. So it's interesting that someone who didn't feel loved and someone who had all this competition in the house would be the first one to use this word thankful or praise. Let's find out what she used to that. Genesis chapter 29, verses 14 to 35. Let me give you the backdrop, first of all. Jacob has fled Canaan because he has cheated, yes, and stolen his brother's birthright and blessing. And so now his brother is mad at him. He wants to kill him. So his mother says, you know what? I think it'd be a good idea if you went to stay with my brother Laban, your uncle Laban. Go live with him. I won't tell Esau where you're at. And I think you're going to be safe there. And so he goes. And the Bible says, after Jacob has stayed with him for a whole month, Laban that is, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. And here's what it says about Leah. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Interesting how that it details them like that, isn't it? The word weak for her eyes literally means wearied. Wearied eyes. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And I just felt the Lord say to me, Leah and Rachel are like a type and shadow of law and grace. You see, if you know the story, the marriage was arranged by her father. There was some trickery involved. Simply because the father says that we marry the older ones around here first. Jacob thought he was working seven years for Rachel, but the night of the wedding, things changed, you know, and he slipped in Leah. Didn't recognize it till the morning. It's in the story. Go read it sometime. But Rachel, that marriage was arranged because of love. You see the difference between like a law and grace? One's arranged because of law and rules. The other one's arranged. This is our custom. The other one's arranged just simply out of love. Wow. The law will make you weak and wearied. Grace will make you lovely and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said to his uncle Laban, I'll work for seven years in return for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. You got to appreciate Jacob's candor, right? You gotta appreciate it. The guy's been burning with lust for seven years, and now he's saying, okay, you know, I, really he has been. You know, I find it interesting, I was thinking about this, is why did Jacob stay pure? And why did Rachel stay pure? 
Believe me, it wasn't because of love and respect for Laban. He didn't have the same love and respect for his own daddy. He lied to his daddy five times before he left Canaan. He cheated his brother. It wasn't because he was a good American upstanding citizen then. It was because of fear, I believe. I don't think he wanted to burn any more bridges. He just burned a bridge, can't go back there. Boy, where am I going to go if I burn this bridge? I think it was just really the law uh, that, uh, that held him in check. And I felt the Holy Spirit say there's a lot of believers that serve God out of fear through an old covenant, do good, get blessed, do bad, get cursed mentality. Hear the word of the Lord Jesus. You are lovely in figure and beautiful. You are Jesus' Rachel. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, my time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. See, he couldn't see her. It was dark. She had all this wedding gear on and stuff like that. So, you know, it was a curveball for him, right? And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. And I love in my Bible, it's got an exclamation. It's got an exclamation point, like, surprise, surprise, surprise. I mean, Gomer Pyle popped out of the closet, man. Surprise, surprise, surprise. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom. Do you hear that? It's not our law. It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter marriage before the older one. Finish the daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of labor. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Now you know there's going to be a problem, right? And he worked for Laban another seven years. Now watch what happens. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. See, God is paying attention to everything, okay? He knows who's mistreating you. He knows who's been naughty and who's been nice. He knows, and he knows how to take care of this problem. So when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel, the darling of Jacob, remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, she, watch this now. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Did you hear what she said? She said, I've named him Reuben because the Lord has seen my misery. The name Reuben literally means sin. See, I love that. I know Steve and Heather did the same thing when they were going through their pregnancies and they were naming their children. They named their children in direct proportion to whatever they were experiencing at the time. Am I correct about that? You were experiencing the mercy of God when mercy came. You were experiencing the grace of God when grace came. You were experiencing the faith of God when faith came. I love that. It's an Old Testament principle, believe it or not. It goes way back. And so she names him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has seen my misery. And then she says this, surely my husband will love me now. You see, Leah's heart was to try to get her husband to love her based upon performance, based upon contribution, based upon I've just done something for you. Many believers today are still trying to win Jesus' love, Jesus' affection, Jesus' approval through performance, contribution, and for birthing this and for birthing that. Friends, we didn't birth this ministry to get Jesus to love us anymore, believe me. We, we birthed this ministry out of total obedience, and hopefully it's getting you to love him more than anything else. 
Jesus' love comes because we are like Rachel. We are his true love, lovely in form and beautiful. Leah conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard, okay, heard, that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Now, what do you suppose his name means? Hearing. See, the first one was Reuben, seeing. The second one is, is Simeon, hearing. Again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. Now what do you suppose his name means? It means attached, doesn't it? She conceived again. Now watch this. When she gave birth to a son, she said, This time, this time, she said, I will praise the Lord. That word praise right there is the first time that Yadah comes up in the Bible and it came up by Leah herself. It means to be thankful. It means to give thanksgiving. It means to praise. It means to confess. She said, I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Judy, does your name mean praise? Come on. Judah is the male version of Judy. That's all it is. The name means praise. Then she stopped having children. And as we pick up the story a little bit later, you'll find her womb was back open again, and she had another son or two and a daughter named Dinah. The first time that word is used, again, it's used by Leah. She used that word, that praise word, in the midst of a time when she was not loved by her husband. She was overlooked. I'm telling you today, we can rise up and we can use this thankful word. We can use it in the expression of giving. We can use it in the expression of praise and thanksgiving and being thankful. No matter what we're going through, not because your neighbors like you or don't like it, it doesn't matter. We can use this word because why? We are grace to give. Don't wait till everything is perfect in your life. Leah didn't wait till everything was perfect in her life. David said, be thankful unto him. That is the first time this was used by Leah. Please note that Leah stopped having children after praise. After Judah was born, her labor ceased. So, here's the thing that I felt the Lord say to me. Her first four sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, hearing, seeing, attached, praise. Are you seeing the picture? You're seeing things in the Word of God. You're hearing things. Your ability to hear things in the Word of God are attached to praise. I'm going to tell you something. You show me a man of praise, I'll show you a man or woman that hears things from God. He sees things in the Word of God that people can't see. I'm telling you, listen, I'm not here to beat anybody up, but I'm here to tell you today, you're seeing and you're hearing things in the Word of God is attached to being thankful. It's attached to you just praising Him, praising the Lord. I'll show you someone that understands that when God saved them, He placed them inside of a sterile environment, and that is Jesus, someone that understands that they have been graced to be thankful and graced to give. My closing thoughts are these. Throughout my uh, Christian walk, God has graced me to be thankful and to be a giver. These have never been struggles for me, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Very thankful. I have given unselfishly, relentlessly, and continually. When it comes to giving, listen to the Holy Spirit. Because there's more need out there than you have the ability to meet by yourself. You must listen to the Holy Spirit. Get the emotions out of the way. It's always about what are you saying, God? What are you saying? 
I found a long time ago the easiest stuff to give away and the easiest money to give away is something that belongs to somebody else. Would you agree with that? You know what I found out a long time ago? Everything I have belongs to Jesus. It belongs to somebody else. Come on, somebody talk to me about that, would you? It belongs to somebody else. It belongs to Jesus. That's why I've never had a problem with giving and, and being thankful out there. In giving, I have reaped a harvest that money cannot buy. The harvest of many souls and many blessings. And I was reminded of the largest monetary gift that I have ever given personally myself was a home. You say, Mark, man, you gave away a home? I did. You say, man, it must have been that time when you were making a lot of money in your life. No, I was not making a lot of money. Well, it must have been at a time when you were you had multiple homes so you could afford to give one away. No, just the one. Well, it must have been at a time when you were living on the highest mountain of life. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. I was living in the lowest valley of life when I gave away that home. I gave away that home on October 21st of 1995 at 9 o'clock in the morning. You say, now why would you remember a detail like that? Because that same day, five hours later, I planted a sun in the ground. And I'll never forget that day. You see, I sowed the greatest seed I've ever sown in the midst of the greatest sorrow I've ever known. Don't tell me you can't give and help somebody out and bless somebody just because of this and that. I'm, I'm telling you, you can. You can. You can do more than you think. Amen. And then I was thinking, you see, the day I did that, it was three days after my son had died. And as I was meditating upon that, I heard the Holy Spirit say, the Father sowed the greatest gift he had ever sown three days after his son died. Okay, Lord, now you just made me a mess. You just messed me up. The Father sowed the greatest gift. And you say, what is that gift? It's found right here in Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared, nor can the Jesse of God be compared, the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness? That was the gift that was planted in our heart three days after Jesus died. You see, the gift didn't come until he was raised from the dead, friend. It didn't come the moment he died. See, because if he'd have stayed in the grave, we wouldn't have the gift that we've got today. But three days later, that gift was released, and it is the gift of righteousness, that sterile environment that Jesus has planted us inside of, that we can never be infected by sin again. How much more for those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through this one man, Jesus Christ. Back to Numbers chapter 10, verse 9. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who's oppressing you, when you go into battle in your own body, 
against an enemy who's oppressing you. When you go into battle for your own mind against an enemy who's oppressing you. When you go into battle for your own children against an enemy who's oppressing you. When you go into battle for your own finances against an enemy who's oppressing you. When you go into battle in your own marriage against an enemy who's oppressing you, he says, I'll tell you what you do. You sound a blast on the trumpet, you let out a ruah, and I'm gonna tell you something, you're gonna see things begin to change because the word is true and emphatic. It says, then you will be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. You see, friends, let me say it like this. Too often when we're attacked by our enemies, we lose our joyful noise. We lose our triumphant shout. We lose our ruah. We don't have to. It will come and go. Stand strong. Stand strong in the Lord. Joshua had the same kind of ruah when they marched around and around and they let out that trumpet sound and that loud sound. Alexander the Great was walking through a big crowd of people one day and there was a beggar in the crowd. And the beggar was saying, Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great, give me some alms. And Alexander the Great reached in his apron and he threw him a handful of gold coins. There was a guy standing in the crowd, a bystander says, oh, wait a minute now, just a second now. That was a beggar, right? He said copper coins would have suited the beggar just fine. Why in the world did you throw him gold coins? And Alexander the Great said, copper coins would have suited the beggar's need, but gold coins suits Alexander's giving. That's how it is with grace on the inside of us. We've got something that's so much greater than gold coins. And everywhere we go, we can take, listen, here's the true treasures of heaven. They're free, take them. They're for beggars, take them. They're for anybody that will say, Jesus, let's do it. I've come by today to put us in remembrance of some very good news. You and I have been graced to be thankful. We've been graced to be the most thankful people on earth. We can shout with ru'ah, I have been graced to give. Father, I want to thank you for your word in Jesus' name. I have stood and declared it just the way you gave it to me. Father, I want to thank you that your word is eternal. And once it's released, Father, it will never come back void in Jesus' name. I want to thank you, Father, that as we stand in the pulpit of Triumphant Grace Ministries, we continually declare the goodness of Jesus. We continually declare the goodness of our Father in Jesus' name. I want to thank you, Father, that because of what Jesus has done, I can always look at him and I can look at you and say, this is a gift of God. I am your beloved based upon a gift of God. And Jesus, when you paid the price, you paid it in full. And you placed me inside of a sterile environment where I could never, ever again be infected by sin. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm sealed with this truth. And I'll release it. I'll release this grace and this truth everywhere I go. In Jesus' name, amen.